0: Each episode, we answer one
1: personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. All right. Hey, Scott, how you doing? I'm well, James. How are you today? I'm doing great. Good. Doing great. What's on deck for us today?
0: Well, you know, it's that time of the year when... Uh, School is wrapping up, even if people have been working from home with kids from home. Mm -hmm. And uh, people who are working from home might have realized they want a different home. (laughs) So so it's kind of that time of the year and people are looking at it pretty intently. So um, let's chat about what people should think about when they are buying a home.
1: Yeah, it's a big decision. It's a lot of money. And there's probably some things you want to be thinking about before you make that decision. So
0: let's lay that out. Let's do it. So I think- So,
1: yeah. After you.
0: I was just going to say, let, let's start with the thing that you and I almost always start with, which is cash flow. Mm-hmm. Meaning, um, how's this going to change your life? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. From an ins and outs standpoint.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the most uh, obvious one of that is what's it going to cost? And you know, if you go and get this new home, you, put it, you purchase this new home, what's it going to cost? And I think there's some obvious expenses that everyone thinks about. So the mortgage, which is a combination of uh, principal and interest, that you're paying the bank in your monthly payment, but also things like property taxes and homeowners insurance, and that's what you might call it. You know, uh, those are the big ones: P.I.T.I. That's that's kind of your fixed monthly payment. But then what's the cost of utilities? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're getting a bigger home because you need more space, that's great, but it might cost more in water. It might cost more in electricity or gas to be able to pay for utilities. And so, starting to think of the different costs and see how does that compare to to what you're paying today, I think is a good starting point.
0: Fully agree. Yeah. Um, what do you pay now for your baseline? And if this is going to change, whether, you know, more than likely often it increases our costs, where are you going to make that adjustment in your life to mm-hmm. account for that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and now if you're doing this and maybe you've been saving for some time you know let, let's assume maybe you're renting today or you have a home today but you're saving up on the side to purchase a larger home or to purchase your first home take a look at well what are you paying today for your housing costs whether that's rent or whether that's mortgage plus what are you saving on a monthly basis to be able to purchase that next home and that's that's kind of going to give you a good baseline of say you have a mortgage of 3000 per month but you're also saving $1500 per month to be able to purchase a new home well, that's kind of $4,500 per month that you're able to put away towards home expenses if you think about it that way, both what you're actually paying and what you're saving. And so that's maybe the high end of the threshold, the very high end of the threshold of what you might be able to pay when you break down what the next home will cost when you start to think about how does that fit in your cash flow?
0: And that's a great point. And a little pro tip there that I like, especially for in, in markets that are more expensive, um, oftentimes owning a home will cost more than renting. Um, and so that's different conversation for a different day, but you know, uh, that dollar amount that you just mentioned, you know, if you, if you go look, run the numbers for buying that, the, the house that you want to purchase, and it is going to be like $5,000 a month all in and you pay three currently, well then start saving two a month mm-hmm. because if it becomes too painful then to go do that, you quickly know that it's not right for you.
1: Yeah that's a very easy way to figure it out before buying a home and finding out the hard way.
0: Yeah, because it's expensive to undo buying a home. Yeah.
1: Yes, it is. And then there's on top of that, there's the almost indirect expenses of, of, okay, you moved. Do you now have greater commuting costs? Or okay, you moved. Do you not live in a school district anymore that you want to send your children to? Do you need to pay for private education, or maybe you were living close to family before. Now you live further away and need to pay for childcare. So think about the direct costs, which are the the amounts that you're paying to the bank for the mortgage, the utilities, things like that. But also think about the the, kind of incidentals of what else is going to come along as a result of this.
0: Right. And to to that fact, um, you might actually find that, oh, well, I'm moving from downtown where I may have gone to a private school, to um, a neighborhood that has wonderful public schools, and so we'll go there instead. So that that actually can actually go the other direction as well. So it's it's all dependent right. upon you and your specific situation. Right. Another thing to look at would be um, if you are going to move into the new house. Oftentimes, people don't move in and it's turnkey. Almost always, they move in and want to do other things to it. So mm-hmm. you know, what is the 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 all the expenses that you've chatted about so far are kind of just well, we bought the house and we walked in and we pay what we pay, but are you planning on doing any improvements? Right. And if you are, how will you pay for those?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. You're not, uh, you have a vision for the home when you move into it, but it's that vision is a result of making some changes of demoing something or adding something or, or redoing the kitchen or the bathrooms. And so take that into account. If you use all of your money to purchase the home, well, that doesn't mean that you're done. There's going to be some other things you probably want to do to it. And you need to make sure that you have a separate kind of savings account or at least a plan for how to pay for that as well. Absolutely. And then really see how how does buying this home impact other goals that you have? So as we're talking about can you afford the home, there's a couple ways to look at that. One is does it literally, does that monthly amount that you're paying fit within your cash flow each month? But maybe a better way of looking at it is what are the trade offs here? If I purchase this home and if maybe it fits in your cash flow, does it prevent you from saving as much to retirement as maybe you need to? Or does it prevent you from saving enough to other uh, things that are important to you and taking that into account as well so what's the trade-off with this new purchase? What may it possibly prevent you from being able to do uh, if you make this decision?
0: Mm-hmm. Agreed. And another to think about there as well, oftentimes, especially in, um, Southern California, we see it because it's just an expensive place to live as well as major metros. Um, both spouses may be working and maybe you're, you know, if you're a younger couple and you're not, maybe you don't have kids yet, you may want to have time in the future for one of you to go back to school or to um, raise a little one for a while. Um, look at the, the ability to afford the house on one income versus two incomes.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah what life changes may impact, uh, you're exactly right, how much income is coming in if one of you starts staying home at some point. Yeah. And then a big one is is how long do you think you'll be in that home? Do you think you're going to buy a home uh, and then maybe need to purchase a larger one a couple, three years down the road as family grows or as work changes or maybe you're not here permanently? If that's the case, if you think you're not going to be in the home for, for five or more years, run a basic break-even analysis. Because the cost to purchase a home is one thing, and as you mentioned, Scott, the cost to sell a home is another. And it can be mm-hmm. very expensive when you factor in brokerage fees, when you factor in taxes, when you factor in just the fact that for the first few years, most of your mortgage payment is going to interest. When you factor in the property taxes you're paying, uh, the cost to fix the home up to get it to your liking, there's a lot of costs that go into this that if you're not going to be in the home for very long, you just don't have enough time to spread those costs out to really make it make sense from a financial standpoint. So yep. run an analysis to, to not saying this will be the case, but does renting possibly make sense if you don't plan to be there for a long amount of time, or at least don't plan to turn it into some type of uh, rental or investment property if you are going to move before a few oh, years.
0: Agreed. Yeah, agreed. I, I think that the other, you know, we're not really hitting on it too heavily right now, but I do think the other thing to look at would just be what can you get for your money um, from a rental standpoint versus buying standpoint. Um, is yep. another thing just to look at when you're considering buying a home. Uh, and, and it used to not be the case, or not as much, because the uh, differential wasn't that great. But now in, in some areas, it's it can make a lot more sense to rent versus buy. Yep. Um, yeah. you know, so then you're buying for different reasons other than just you know financial ones. Yeah, absolutely. So those, the, I think
1: that's a good summary of the cash flow issues of what do you want to look at that's unique to you personally and, and unique to you as an individual that will impact your decision. But what about on the mortgage side? When we're actually looking to say, okay, I need to take out a mortgage to buy this. What are some of the things that we should be looking at?
0: Yeah. And we've, we've looked at, we've kind of, you know, our, the conservative CFPs that we are, um, we've said in the past that, you know, we're fans of 30 year fixed rate mortgages. And if you want to go pay it off faster, you can pay off a 30 year and I think it's 16 years is what it typically shakes out to be. If you just make a 15 year style payment. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the things you're going to want to look at are what are the, what's the interest rate of the, of the funds? How much is the cat? What's the payment going to be? Um, and then you look at all the v- different types that exist out there. You can get a th- fixed rate mortgages. You can get adjustable rate mortgages. You can get interest only mortgages. Um, there's so many different ways to go about it. Um, But I would, I would lean towards, um, I would hope that you would lean towards, um, getting a fixed rate amortized payment, which basically means every time you're putting a payment down, you're, you're putting a little bit of that principal um, back into the the house and you're gaining a little bit more equity in the house. So Mm -hmm. it acts, it's kind of acts as a forcing mechanism to save, which is nice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts?
1: I agree. You definitely look at the trade-off, look at, okay, what's the interest rate going to be on a 15-year loan? What's the interest rate going to be on a 30-year loan? Look at interest only, look at fixed, but yes, it, it, almost always, this isn't going to be the case for everyone, but yes, a 30-year 30 30 fixed rate, especially in today's interest rate environment where you're not paying that much more interest for a 30-year loan than you are for a 15-year loan, that tends to be the way to go. It, it, as we mentioned just a bit ago on the cash flow side, by keeping your minimum payment fairly low, it's freeing up more of your cash flow to be used for things like making sure you're saving for retirement or making sure that you're saving for children's education, making sure that you just have flexibility uh, so that you have cash flow when you need it, whatever it may be for.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there are special loans out there for specific professions. Um, you know, for instance, um, for the military, there's the VA home loan program. Um, for like a lot of, uh, physicians, there's actually, um, uh, loans for young physicians as well as, um, for other professions such as lawyers. So mm-hmm. depending on your, the space that you're in professionally, um, look around, there may be some beneficial options for you that, um, the average American doesn't get.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. There, there are some good loans. There's the conventional, there's the FHA loans. These are things that are kind of widely available, but then yes, you're exactly right. That depending upon your profession, uh, there may be mortgages or loans that are unique to you. And, and that's a very good place to start. So make sure that you're starting with that before looking at what else is available to, to uh, kind of just the general public.
0: Yeah. And the other component there is when you go look for a loan, um, Once you decided what type of a loan you want, so if you want a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, um, your credit score will matter. Um, The the better your credit score, the better the rate will be. So typically anything of a 740 or above, you're going to get the best rates. And if you find yourself in that position where you're in a position to get best rates, then don't necessarily settle for the first rate that you get. You can go to more than one lender and, um, go back and forth with them a little bit between two lenders or three lenders and say, Hey, you know, um, bank of America is offering me this rate with these fees at closing. Could you do better? Right. And, and mm-hmm. a, at the end of the day, you want the lowest rate, hopefully with no points on the loan and, uh, and the lowest amount of closing costs.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And then
1: I think as people start to ask how much how much loan they'll qualify for, kind of a general point is a lot of lenders they'll look at what's the what's the total payment going to be if they if they're calculating how much loan you're eligible for, they're going to say what would the payment on that be when you're factoring in principal, interest, taxes, and insurance. And if that loan is more than twenty eight percent of your gross income, that may be the cap that they're they're not going to lend to you money over that amount. So they'll essentially help you quantify. Okay, what's the balance uh, that? when you look at the monthly payment, it will be less than 28% of your gross income. And that's kind of a starting point for a lot of lenders.
0: Mm-hmm. And so if you make $100,000, $28,000 for the mortgage payment, the taxes and the insurance, it's kind of a, a rule of thumb to start with. And depending upon how much you earn and where you live and the programs that there are, that number may be um, potentially, they may allow you to take more, but you should always go back to the concept that we just started with on cash flow, as to like, just because someone says that you can buy a house at a certain price point or that you can mm-hmm. get a, a certain loan doesn't necessarily mean you want it. Right. So, right. So, and the, the, you know, in that moment, the mortgage lender is like, I'll happily, I'll give you more. And that's great. But then you're locking yourself into um, a payment that you have to make in the future. So just be thoughtful of that before you go shopping around.
1: Yes, I hear that all the time of, "Oh, I'm qualified for a loan amount of X amount of dollars." And and I say, "Yeah, you, you know, you're qualified for that. That's what they'll give to you because they've got an incentive for you to borrow money from them, but I don't it's probably not a good decision for a lot of people to borrow the max of what they're qualified for." So, make sure you go back to step 1 that we walked through of how does the cash how does your cash flow tie into the mortgage amount?
0: And what do you want life to look like in the coming years? Yeah, is it? Are you both working, no matter what, come hell or high water, or, or do one? Is one of you going to want to take some time to do other things?
1: Yeah, it yeah, it really matters, and you don't want to be a house poor. You don't want to say, "Oh, great, we can afford our house payment." But we've got nothing left to do anything else that that matters to us. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people fall into that trap. So make right. sure you do that work ahead of time. And, and if you're retired, you know you might be looking at this or listening to this and say, "Well, I don't have any earned income. I'm retired." Well, if you if if, if that's the case, um, that's okay. A lot of lenders will look at. Things like any pension income you have or social security income that you have. They'll look at your portfolio and kind of calculate how much income can be generated from that and they'll use that as your income. So yep. you know some people that retire without a mortgage, but if you do have a mortgage in retirement and you're looking to refinance, there's other there's other ways that lenders will calculate what you might be eligible for uh when you go through that process.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: One thing is, is obviously credit score is important for this. A credit mm-hmm. score is going to determine the interest rate that you pay on a loan. And when you look at these loans, uh, small differences in interest rates make big differences in terms of the total payment on that. What mm-hmm. should you be looking at from a credit standpoint?
0: Uh, you want to have the best credit that you can. So you can go to places like creditkarma.com or some, many of your credit card companies will actually show you your credit score as well. Um, One thing to keep in mind is that credit cards, the scores that you see on those sites aren't exactly what the lender is going to pull when they pull your score. It's just—it's an algorithm that that creates the score in slightly different ways, um, is the way it's been explained to me in the past. Um, But you'll get a sense of where you are. And if you don't have the highest credit score or the best score, um, you may want to look to do things to improve that. You can see if there's any inaccuracies that you can fix or if there's any, um, you know, just simply paying your bills, uh, on time for for (laughs) for some period of time. And then the biggest thing is the number one driver of of credit is, is credit utilization, which just means the percentage of credit, um, that you're currently using. So if you're using a high portion of it and you have the ability to go pay it down, that can be really helpful because it Mm -hmm. can, um, really help drive up your score pretty quickly. And there's, there's articles about credit score all over the place, but, um yeah. yeah that's definitely something to think about
1: yeah and, and review your history because like you're saying credit credit history is important and if if you've got a wrong charge on there or if, if you got dinged for something that wasn't really you're doing it was just an error on their part get that fixed because that's going to determine the interest rate that you get for your loan and you don't want to pay higher interest rate of course and you have to mm-hmm. yeah and then when it comes time to actually applying for the mortgage, the, the standard documents, people say, okay, well, what do I need before I start that process? Well, they're going to typically ask for two years tax returns to see uh, income and wages. They're going to ask for uh, W-2s, so your wage statement just showing how much you earned, recent pay stubs. They're going to ask for financial statements, so they want to see how much you have in the bank, how much do you have in investments, how much do you have in other retirement accounts. And so those are the types of things you're going to be asked to gather. So if you're going through this process or about to, just start to maybe think about where you can find those things or get them organized. Probably a good idea to have them organized, anyways. But that's what you'll you'll really need uh, to begin the process of applying for a mortgage. Yep, absolutely. All right, so that's kind of a, an overview of the mortgage side of things in terms of making sure that you get the right mortgage. What's the What's the next kind of point that we need to consider? We looked at cash flow. We looked at the mortgage itself. Where do we go next?
0: Yeah, you know. Uh, so I, I mean, I think that helping people understand some of the tax issues that will happen with a mortgage would be helpful. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Um, Everyone probably heard as some idea that everyone's always like, Oh, you know, owning a home is helpful because it helps you with your taxes. Um, it, which is partially true, <laughs> more so than it used to be. Um, you have to pay property taxes on your ho- on your home. And we now get on our tax return, we get to write off a total of $10,000 of property and state income taxes. That's kind of called um, salt for short, on the income tax. On on the schedule that we itemize our deductions, so you will potentially get to to write that off um, if you don't have any income tax in your state. If you do, you might already be hitting that ten thousand dollar max, but that could be helpful to you.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a a recent change in the last couple of few years here that I think some people still aren't aware of. That you you yeah you're paying property taxes now, and in California, if you own a home specifically San Diego, it's likely those property taxes alone. Uh, will take you close to that $10,000 limit. And then any state income taxes you're paying on top of that, you might be paying twenty, thirty, forty thousand $40,000 in state income taxes, but you're now capped at 10,000 in terms of what you can actually deduct on your tax return. So yep. the the taxes are one side of it. The other side is the mortgage interest. So when yes. you're paying your mortgage each month, part of that's deductible. Now the part that's deductible is the part that's not actually going to pay down your principal. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's, Pros and cons. Yes, it's deductible, but no, it's not actually chipping away. It's not actually increasing your equity. But the good thing is that's there is a good portion of your mortgage payment that's deductible. So when you're yeah. making your loan payment, part of that's going to principal, part of that's going to interest, and whatever is going to interest on loans up to $750,000, that interest is fully deductible if you itemize your, your um, deductions.
0: Right, and so like in Southern California, most people, once they own a home, are probably going to itemize their deductions at first, just because the mortgage interest and the um, the salt tax will probably get them over the standard deduction threshold of twelve thousand right. two hundred or twenty four thousand four hundred for joint filers. It's twelve thousand two hundred for single. But um, but the key is that what it's really doing is it's simply just lowering your cost of borrowing in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. It's just if, if you got a loan for three and a half percent, now you get to write off the interest on that loan as well on your tax return. So it's really just lowering the cost of borrowing a little bit for you yeah. while you get to take that deduction. Yeah, totally. If
1: your payment's $4,000 per month, for example, when you factor in the tax benefit you're getting in the tax deduction, the net cost might be closer to $3,200 or $3,300 per month depending on how far along in your mortgage you are when you factor in the, the lesser amount of taxes you'll be paying because of that uh, that write-off. So it certainly does help when you look at the cost of uh, paying for that mortgage.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing to remember when you do go buy a house is it's important to remember how much you bought the house for. So keep the closing statement because that's really, that's the basis in your, in your home. So if you go mm-hmm. buy a house for a million dollars, keep that but then anytime you go and do improvements on the property um, so not maintenance but improvements and there's you can go read articles about what's considered an improvement or a maintenance but if you go like redo lighting or you go you know <laughs> redo something major put in a new kitchen um, track the costs of those improvements and you want to add that to the cost basis of the house so if i buy a house for a million dollars and then I do a $50,000 renovation of the kitchen. Well, I want to keep track of that so that in the future, when I go sell the house, my cost basis for the house isn't just $1 million. It's $1,050,000. Right. I need to keep that um, together so that when I do go sell the house, I can uh, make sure I don't pay taxes on something that I've already put into the house.
1: Yes. And I think we probably both know a lot of people, clients have run the situation of looking to sell a home and it's that sense of, oh gosh, I really wish I'd kept the accurate records of everything I put into the home because it's been 10, 15, 20 years, done a ton of stuff to it, but you need to understand, you need to know how much was actually put into the home so that you know what portion of the sales proceeds are taxable and what portion are not taxable. Yes. Yeah. Then just some basic after-tax planning, some basic estate planning issues. So should the home be owned by one spouse or another for any particular reason? Should the home be owned by a trust? And typically, yes. Uh, if, you, if, if you're just kind of a regular family and, and the home's owned uh, by the spouses, well, if, if the spouses die and there's no trust, then that home goes to probate and probate's expensive and it takes time. And it's just not something that your family wants to deal with after you've passed. But if it's owned by a trust then that trust can dictate uh, where that asset, the the asset being your home goes upon your passing. So make Mm -hmm. sure that you update your will, update your estate plan, update your trust to make sure that ideally the home is owned by the trust, unless there's any particular reason for you specifically that it shouldn't be. Uh, But ideally it's owned by a trust to make sure that that uh, probate process is avoided if something were to happen to the owners.
0: Yep. Agreed. And and it's pretty important um, to remember to put the house back in the trust anytime you refinance your home as well.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's, it's an easy take it one to, to forget. Refi- yeah.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Then what about just other issues? So kind of miscellaneous things that you want to make sure that you're, what boxes do we want to make sure we're checking as we uh, kind of walk people through? What What else to consider when buying a home?
0: Yeah. So, um, one would be like, if you're, you know, if you took on a new mortgage and you didn't have that before, you might want to look at life insurance and do you want to change the amounts that you have to make sure that your family's okay. If something happens to you, mm-hmm. uh, that'd be especially important if you're in a single household, uh, income family, right? Because if mm-hmm. something does happen to you, then we may have to go sell the house and we don't necessarily want that. Right. Uh, so I would absolutely look at that. Right. Obviously, looking at your your you would if you're going from a, being a renter to getting a home, you need to get a homeowner's policy.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a big new one and and look at that because with your home policy, there's if you bundle that with other things like your auto policy, there's probably some savings that could be had there. If you do both policies with one company, oftentimes those can be bundled, and there's some savings as opposed to having your home insurance policy with one auto insurance company and your auto policy with maybe another insurance company. And then once you reviewed home and auto policy, which again are ideally bundled, the next thing is looking at an umbrella umbrella policy. Mm, So what an umbrella policy does is typically you have liability coverage on say your auto policy or other insurance, but that liability only goes up to a certain amount. And your home, if you look at your home and all your other assets at some point, that value is probably going to be higher than liability coverage that you have through things like your car insurance. And so what an umbrella policy does is it says any other liability that you may have, uh, it just gives you coverage above and beyond that. And and purchasing in a new home is a good time to check to see, okay, is it time to uh, implement an umbrella policy as well?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree with that. Yeah. Then uh, other you
1: know other details, is this home purchase a result of an employment change? If so, you may be eligible for relocation assistance. This is just you buying a new home because you want to move to a different part of town or just get a bigger place. This isn't going to apply. But if you're moving across the country or through different states, uh, see if you might be eligible for some type of relocation assistance from your employer. Not not going to be super common, but definitely something worth, worth noting uh, if that's the case.
0: And that's going to be an interesting one in the coming months with everyone being home from you know, people working from home and some offices are figuring out they don't need their employees to come back in. Yeah. People may choose to go live in less expensive parts of the country. I know. Um, but we shall see. If you do that, if your employer <laughs> offers for you not to go in and you can move, ask if they're willing to help yeah. <laughs> the cost of the move. <laughs> Will you help me? Can't to hurt to ask. Away. <laughs> that's yeah, that's
1: right. That's right. Awesome. Well, I think that covers it. So we've got, you know, start with by looking at your cash flow, understanding your personal balance sheet, your personal income statement. How is that going to come into play when it comes time to getting a mortgage and buying a home? Number two, look at just mortgage-related mortgage, mortgage related stuff. So what's what's the interest rate? What type of mortgage do you want? Uh, making sure that your credit score is up to date. From there, understand just tax planning issues. How is this going to impact your from tax standpoint? Mm-hmm. Uh, next, look at estate planning issues, which is, can basically be summarized by probably want to own the home in a trust. And then finally, just miscellaneous stuff: updating life insurance, reviewing uh, home and auto policy, umbrella policy, things like that. So I think this is a pretty good overview. But anything else you want to add?
0: Uh, you know, the only thing that we didn't cover was um, just remember that you have to pay to move. <laughs> Typically, you're going to pay something to move, so, so build that into your cash flow on the front end
1: because mm-hmm.
0: uh, there are those costs that exist. So just yeah, make there's sure down you're payment
1: you're costs, full of those
0: yeah and this you know hiring movers or getting a truck and doing all that fun stuff so just make sure that's there too yeah
1: yeah Yeah.
0: that's it well that is it thanks scott
1: thank you see you next week see you next time Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you want us to answer in a future episode, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website. There'll be a section on the bottom of each page where you can submit your question that Scott and I will answer on a future episode. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.